Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Once again, as we make our way through the book of Kings, 2 Kings chapter 2 today, we're seeing like this interruption of the account of the kings and the affairs of the nation to talk about a prophet. In this case, prophets. What's going on here? Well, we're going to see that probably down in verse 12. As Elisha says, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Chariots and horsemen are essentially the weapons of war uh, that other nations around them were using. Israel doesn't have a lot of that, but it's a sign of military strength, right? To have lots of chariots and lots of horsemen. And so as Elisha mourns the death of Elijah, well, not death, he mourns Elijah's departure. He gives him that title that Elijah, the head prophet over Israel, was her prowess. That the one who speaks God's word to the people is the one who brings true strength. So, in the midst of all these faithless kings that we keep seeing, the one who speaks the word of God is the one who is at least attempting to seek faithfulness from the people of God. That's our connection here, really, with the text. Now, let's dig in. Chapter 2. Now, when Yahweh was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, Please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, As Yahweh lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophets who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today Yahweh will take away your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me to Jericho. But he said, As Yahweh lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, Do you know that today Yahweh will take away your master from over you? And he answered, Yes, I know. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Please stay here, for Yahweh has sent me to the Jordan. But he said, As Yahweh lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them, as they both were standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water, and the water was parted to the one side and to the other, till the two of them could go over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, Please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And he said, You have asked a hard thing, yet if you see me as I am being taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went on and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it, and he cried, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. Then he took the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water, saying, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? 
And when he had struck the water, the water was parted to the one side and to the other, and Elisha went over. Now when the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho saw him opposite them, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Behold, now there are with your servants fifty strong men. Please let them go and seek your master. It may be that the spirit of Yahweh has caught him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, You shall not send. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, Send. They sent therefore fifty men, and for three days they sought him, but did not find him. And they came back to him while he was staying at Jericho. And he said to them, Did I not say to you, Do not go? Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of this city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says Yahweh, I have healed this water. From now on neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you bald head, go up, you bald head. And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of Yahweh. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore forty-two of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. This is the word of the Lord. So as we look at our text, God is planning to take Elijah straight off of the earth, right up into heaven. That's not common, right? Uh, This is one you might be able to tease your children with as a trivia question, but who was the only other person we know of from Scripture that never died. Parents, let me see if you even know this one. Genesis chapter 5, Enoch. So Enoch and Elijah are the only two in Scripture that are mentioned who never tasted death themselves. Now, you've got the idea that it's going to be ta- he's going to be taken up into heaven by a whirlwind which is quite something, right? And you see that. That's actually what happens down in verse 11. But before we get there, we'll keep going. Elijah and Elisha. Such similar names. Uh, the Eli, Eli, beginning to the name. El is the Hebrew word God, E-L. And then the I, when you, when you have that on the end of El in Hebrew, it's like a possessive. So it's my God is, is the referent there. So their names have that in common because of the Hebrew language. Now you've got Gilgal is where they're they're starting out. Gilgal is about 10 miles west of the Jordan River. And Elijah tells Elisha to stay in, in Gilgal because God has sent him to Bethel. Bethel is 15 miles to the west of Gilgal. So 15 mile walk. Elisha takes an oath that he's not going to leave Elijah, he's going to cling to his master. He's not going anywhere. So, as they're going, the sons of the prophets at Bethel come out to Elisha to tell him that Yahweh is going to take Elijah away. And Elisha says, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. It's hard to know if he's angry with that, 
if he speaks that sarcastically, if he speaks it sadly, it's really hard to know his tone with that particular comment. The more interesting part for many is probably the fact that there are sons of the prophets in Bethel, that there's a number of these people, and you don't just have them in Bethel. They seem to be all over the place, right? They're in Jericho, they're at the Jordan. So what are these? Well, it seems to be that there was, in that time period, at least in in the history of God's people, there was a process of study, and, and you're, you're learning to be a prophet. You're learning to be someone who shares God's word to his people. We're not talking about the chief prophet that necessarily would be used by Yahweh in a place. And I don't want to do a one-to-one connection here to your pastors in your community, wherever you are. But it, it's, more, it's more frequent than what we we tend to think of when we say, oh, there was, you know, like one king and one prophet at a time. That's not really the case. Now, there was a head prophet, probably, in in many instances, or at least the major prophets that had that more direct connection and conversation coming to them, visions from the Lord himself. But even the sons here, right? The sons of the prophets have had some kind of revelation from Yahweh. They are aware of what's going to happen, as is Elisha as well. And then we get the second paragraph, verses 4 and 5, and we learn that now Elijah is being sent from Bethel over to Gilgal. And he just walked those 15 miles west to get to Bethel. Now he's got to walk 15 miles back, back east, as you're going to Jericho. And Jericho is just south of the city of Gilgal. They're, They're practically touching, I and mean, they're, they're neighboring cities here, very close together. And it's essentially a repeat, right? Everything is the same. Elijah tells him to stay. Elisha says the oath again that he will not leave him. The sons of the prophet come out of the city to tell Elisha that God is taking him away. And he says, yes, I know, keep quiet. So you've got that repetition in that second paragraph. And then you get to the third. And so he's gone 15 miles west. He's come 15 miles back to the east, and now he's going to walk another 10 miles to the east to the Jordan River itself. That's 40 miles. And even if he's doing that at a fast clip, right, you know, four miles an hour is a fast pace to walk if you've ever tried it and to maintain it. That would still be 10 hours of walking in one day. This is quite a a journey. Um, There appears to be a test from the Lord himself, of Elisha's faithfulness, if you want to put it that way. I mean, the journey to go 15 miles west and then just double right back over, that really doesn't make any sense, other than to look at it from the perspective that God is putting Elisha to the test. Will he stay? Will he, well, I mean, will he obey a prophet? That's an interesting conversation, Um, because he doesn't obey Elijah, but instead he clings to his master So I don't know. I don't have an answer for you on that one particularly. It's just noteworthy of what's happening there. The 50 sons of the prophets this time are there. Well, 50 men of the sons of the prophets. So not necessarily the sons of the prophets themselves, but even perhaps their servants. There's no message to deliver to Elisha this time. Elijah takes his cloak and hits the water with it. This is the Jordan River. And it parts. Water goes to one side and the other. 
until they can walk over on dry ground. Now another one for you to talk to your kids about, when has that happened before? And the big one that I hope they can recall is from Exodus chapter 14, the parting of the Red Sea. As Moses lifts up his staff and Yahweh parts the waters of the Red Sea so that the Israelites can cross over on dry ground, and once they've made it to the other side, and the Egyptian army has come into the the sea to follow, the Lord closes the waters on them and wipes out the army of Egypt. That's not the only time. In fact, the other time of note is Joshua chapter 3, and it's the Jordan River. As the Israelites are coming into the promised land for the very first time, after all those 40 years wandering in the wilderness, they're finally reaching the promised land, God parts the Jordan River for them to cross over on dry ground. And now we see it happen here in verse 8, and it's going to happen again down in verse 14. So the Jordan River, to the best of our knowledge, is parted at least those three times, and the Red Sea as well. So Elijah asks Elisha if he has anything he wants as essentially a going away, like a, a last gift from Elijah, And he asked for a double portion. Now, what does that mean? It's hard to be certain of what that's a question of. Obviously, it's it's easy for Elijah. He gets it. You have asked a hard thing. And he gives him this odd test. We'll come back to that. Most likely, uh, from, from what I'm thinking here, is that this double portion is a reference like the inheritance idea. When your father died, you get what is his that Elisha wants to be that main prophet. He doesn't want to just be another prophet. Um, He doesn't want to be another one of the sons of the prophets. He wants to be the prophet of the Lord, the one that Yahweh works through in the midst of his people. The reason I say that's most likely is because when you get down to verse 15, that's what's happened. The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And it's just that easy. They see him, they acknowledge it, and it's done. Elisha has that position within God's kingdom. And you see that as they come to him, they bow down at his feet. Now the odd test. So Elijah cannot say whether or not this thing can be done for Elisha because it's a hard thing to ask for. But he can give him this odd test. If you'll see me taken to heaven, then yes, you get it. If not, then no, you don't get it. Did the Lord give him that test, or did he simply speak it and the Lord, you know, followed it? It's hard to say. It it really does come across as pretty odd. Now, obviously, Elisha does get to see it. The chariots of fire, the horses of fire separate the two of them as they're talking, and Elijah is taken up into heaven by a whirlwind, not by the chariot, right? He's not riding in the fiery chariot or riding on a fiery horse. He's taken up by the whirlwind, straight up into heaven, straight up into, we might even say paradise. It's hard to say for sure there. But he gets to be with the Lord. He does not experience earthly death. We mentioned verse 12 in the opening. My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. Elisha is grieving the loss of Elijah, that Elijah is no longer with him. Uh, It's a title that he is speaking over Elijah. Uh, And again, indicating that the prophet is of more importance to Israel 
the one who speaks God's word to his people, is more important to the people than military might and prowess. Because they've got God for that. They need God's word. And that's what Elijah would deliver. And that's what Elisha is going to deliver moving forward. So when Elisha dies, we'll see this in a couple weeks. In chapter 13, verse 14, we'll see these same words spoken over him. Elisha tears his clothes. He takes Elijah's cloak and he works with that. He actually strikes the Jordan River. And it's almost a test on his part to see whether or not the thing he asked for of Elijah has come to pass. He strikes the Jordan River and says, Where is Yahweh, the God of Elijah? Is he with me or is he not with me? The waters part. He has his answer. So we, we're squeamish of asking the Lord for a sign. And fairly, right? God is the holy God of heaven and earth. He's the creator, the author of life. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. And, and we're rightly in our place before him, humble. But sometimes you see the Old Testament men of God that, well, like Elisha here, not afraid to do that, not afraid to put God to a test. So the Jordan Rivers parted twice that day. Now, the sons of the prophets often offer to send men to look for Elijah, not knowing that he's in heaven, which is strange. <laughs> They know that God has taken away the master, but they're figuring maybe just put him somewhere else on the earth because they don't have any, right? There's no, there's no point of reference here for them knowing that God has taken Elijah straight to heaven. It doesn't, this isn't normal. This isn't an everyday occurrence. So instead, maybe God just moved him like a tornado picks a person up and, and moves him somewhere else violently. Uh, maybe God has picked up Elijah and placed him in a on a mountain or in a valley. Elisha knows better, tells them not to waste their time. They urge on anyway, so he lets them go. He lets them do the fruitless task because they wouldn't listen. They would not listen to the prophet. And so they waste their time for nothing. And hopefully they did learn a lesson from that. He definitely is. You know, got that little sarcastic flair to the voice in verse 18. Did I not say to you, do not go? That's almost the I told you so language. I mean, that's essentially what he says. Now, the last part here uh, in the next paragraph, you've got that Jericho's water is bad and the land is unfruitful. There was a curse upon rebuilding Jericho, and it seems some of that has been remnant even now. And so Elisha performs a miracle. He throws salt into the water and, and Yahweh cures it. He heals that place so that death and miscarriage will not come from the water. The people can drink and be healthy and strong in that city. Now, interesting connection there. You can bring salt forward to Jesus preaching in the Sermon on the Mount, saying that we are salt of the earth. That we are to, to bring that gospel good news into all lands, so that the people around us, that they hear that good news, and that they are cleansed. They are made clean from their sins thanks to the forgiveness that comes from Jesus Christ. Now, the, the closing paragraph, I, this is one of those, in a way, odd events in the Old Testament. Small boys come up to Elisha from Bethel, and they're making fun of him. They're mocking the prophet of God. 
Go on up, you bald head. Go on up, you bald head. So I guess Elisha was bald. They're making fun of him. Instead of listening to the prophet of God, they're making fun of, they're mocking him, they're teasing him. These children, boys, have no respect for the servant of God. And if they don't have a respect for the one who delivers the word of God to the people, they're not going to listen to the word of God. And that's the judgment that's cast upon them when God uses bears to devour them. Forty-two children. They are not innocent, right? They have rejected the word of God. They will not hear from the one who brings the word of God to them. Elisha does a little bit of his own doubling up. He goes all the way to Mount Carmel, which is northwest from there on the Mediterranean Sea. And then he comes back to Samaria, which is about halfway back on that journey. We're not told the reason for the trek that he takes there, but that's just the way the text ends.